What do you imagine when you think about university? Maybe it's sleepless nights in the library or the journey to your dream job. Maybe it was, or will be, your first time out of home or something you thought you'd never do. No matter your experience or expectations, there is one thing we all share. I'm Lizzie Jack and this is We Are UOW, a podcast by the University of Wollongong, where we explore the lifelong connections made on the UOW campus, from friends to mentors to marriages. Episode 6, Tom, Dean and Jared. My name's Tom and I co-founded Headlands Distilling Co. My role, it's very on the governance side, so ensuring we're operating by all the rules and regulations. And on the other side, it's being responsible for all the accounting, the funding we're looking for and, and ensuring that we have cash flow, ensuring that we have the finances in place and doing all the the boring formalities like profit and loss statements and balance sheets. My name's Jared. I'm the distiller. I do the production side, so the grain milling, fermenting, uh, recipe design, barreling, and also dirty tasks like the cleaning and the scrubbing. (laughs) Uh, My name's Dean. Uh, I do a bit of everything, sort of helping Jared out with a bit of the distillation and helping Tom with a lot of the financial stuff. financial analyst, a grain economist, and an engineer walk into a bar. Instead of ordering a drink, they think, why don't we just create our own? And so Headlands Distilling Co. is born. Headlands was founded in 2015 by UOW graduates and longtime mates Tom Simnardis, Dean Martellozzo, and Jared Smith, with their friend Lachlan Hingley. It was Wollongong's first distillery and helped transform the city from its industrial roots to a hub of local artisan production. Tom, Dean and Jared have been best mates since they met in year seven, when Red Cordial was the drink of choice. Here's Tom. It was lunchtime or or something and we're all sitting there and it was sunny and Jared was sitting in the sun and for some reason I had somehow blocked his sun and so he was in the shade and he said, if you don't get out of my way, I'm going to spray with red cordial. Maybe he didn't even tell me, I can't remember, but I just sort of thought he was joking and then next minute I've got this red cordial getting sprayed up and I thought, okay, he was dead serious. And Dean, I remember, I met him on the very first day of high school because he, maybe I shouldn't say this, but he was really not interested in being at our school. He didn't want to be there because we went to a selective school and he just thought we were all a bunch of nerds, you know, that we sit, we'd be playing on our calculators at lunchtime or something. And he was just not interested at all. And I remember meeting him on the first day and he told me exactly that. He said, I would rather be at the other school that I was going to. It was just my mum made a decision and here I am. And I thought, oh, that's a good, that's a good start. So and we've, from that point on, we, we became friends. So I don't think it was, I think he, we really able to change Dean's opinion over time. Through the red cordial fights and the teen angst, their bond only got stronger. The boys graduated high school together and headed off to UOW. Now in their early 30s, the three have been friends for longer than they haven't. And over almost 20 years of friendship have evolved from schoolmates to uni buddies to business partners. When it comes to skill sets amongst friend groups, it doesn't get much more wide ranging than what Tom, Dean and Jared have each mastered. 
Dean says he was always getting injured as a kid and the physio that he regularly saw seemed to lead a pretty cool life. So studying physio seemed like a good idea. But then when I realized that he's, he's sort of rare in the space, a lot of it, you've got to, you've got to put a lot of time and effort into sort of working up there. I developed a bit of a love for business. With this, Dean realizes business can go one of two ways. So I better get across all of it. When everything's going great, people want, you know, the, the finance specialist. And when things are going really bad, they're like, where's the economist? By staying local, Dean could become doubly qualified in a shorter time. He enrolled in a Bachelor of Commerce, double majoring in finance and economics. Jared was the practical one, always getting his hands dirty and experimenting with science. My dad was a high school science teacher, so had a chemistry set, a full set when I was seven years old. So it was never going to be any anything different, really. Like Dean, Jared didn't want to narrow his options. He enrolled at UOW and studied a Bachelor of Science majoring in Chemistry and a Bachelor of Mechanical Engineering. So Dean's in Finance and Economics. Jared, you're in Engineering and Chemistry, each pretty complimentary doubles. Tom, you're also going down the double degree path, but it's a bit of an odd pairing. Why was that? The true reason is because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I enjoyed science and I enjoyed economics. And I thought, you know what, the best thing to do would be put those two things together and do a degree. And it probably wasn't the most, you know, analytical approach. It was just out of passion. But that was what set me on the road to basically becoming really fascinated by, by learning and research and really crafted my direction where I ended up where I am now. So it was almost an accident. I didn't really have this higher purpose from day one. I sort of discovered that as I learned more. So now you've got three best mates who have grown up together at high school, all taking advantage of the double degrees and majors available at their local University of Wollongong. While Dean and Jared's degree combinations made sense, Tom went down a bit of an odd path, studying a Bachelor of Science, majoring in Nutrition, and a Bachelor of Commerce, majoring in Economics. We're always talking about how on earth are you ever going to get those get those together and like what's the relationship here? Well, there obviously was a relationship and we will get to that soon. But what was it like, you know, meeting when you're 12, 13 in high school and then your friendship evolving when you got to UAW together? There's a lot of events that UAW organised, massive team building. Like we went to uni games. I played tennis and these two played volleyball, but it was just like a... And a participation entrance, if you know what I mean. <laughs> never played volleyball in their the life. First game of volleyball that I'd ever played was, uh, you know, to go and compete at uni games. So. And what about just on campus and hanging out? We spent a lot of time in the mountains. We're always by the beach, and you know, when I had a, a two-hour break, I'd drive down for a surf. Ski trips. That was pretty fun. There's a lot of social activities that UOW fosters. We just dove right into and and had fun. When you're sharing a campus, not only with your best mates, but with thousands of young people studying anything from mechatronics to marketing, physics to physical education, you're bound to meet people from all walks of life. The campus is such a melting pot, like all the faculties are within however many square kilometres the campus is, whereas you go to other unis and it's scattered all over a city. So you might be studying science, but you don't ever see anyone ever who's studying education, whereas at UAW, chances are you're going to bump into someone who's studying something else. So it really broadens your perspective in that in that respect. 
and you know, it lets you meet people that you otherwise probably wouldn't have ever interacted with. So I think that's the big one of the big differences, being able to bump into random people like that and get different perceptions from outside your own little bubble. Through the amateur volleyball, the surfing and snow trips, the guys stuck together through uni, each completing their doubles and throwing themselves into the whole experience. Tom was fundraising through the UAW Health Society and was heavily involved in the Australian Student Union Association. He and Jared went on to do their honours in science and Dean went into an MBA. What was still unclear, though, was how Tom was going to combine his economics and nutrition degrees, but he was onto something. After his undergrad, he kept researching and did a PhD. Tom took what he called a paddock-to-plate approach and researched grains from the moment they're grown in Australia to where they ended up. They'd all finished uni, catching up over some drinks, still teasing Tom about his seemingly random studies. And he's like, well, you know, what you're, what you're drinking right now is, you know, is, is made from, from grain. Um, and then obviously there's the economics behind. Vodka, we were drinking, (laughs) to clarify. Yeah, there's there's the sort of economics behind sort of, you know, getting it to market, you've got to produce it at scale. And and that was sort of, yeah, one of the early days, one of the early discussions that we had about it. The guys have a few more drinks. Dean goes, hey, I've got a double degree and an MBA. I know how to run a business. Jared realises he knows the chemistry and the mechanics that goes into distilling alcohol. And Tom? Well, he's a literal grain doctor. They toss the idea around and decide to sleep on it. Woke up the next day and we still thought it was a good idea. Once you wake up the next day and you still think it's a good idea, then that was like ding, ding, ding. We're on to something here. It was 2014. Wollongong was still largely industrial, but there was a bit of a shift happening. Small bars were popping up in the city and creative projects like yours and ours were bringing local businesses to the forefront. We were talking about it and then I'm like, guys, I've just bought a still, you owe me this amount of money. And they're like, oh shit, and then they transferred me the money. It's really interesting because the light bulb, it's always like you, you hear about these stories where people go, oh, I woke up one morning, had this brilliant idea. And I think this is the difference between the three of us that I'm much more pragmatic, whereas Jared and Dean are the doers. And they can probably pinpoint the moment when they said, ah, this is when it happened. Where for me, it was always just like risk reduction. Is this really concrete? Is this really something we should pursue? It doesn't make sense. So I don't, I don't say I necessarily have a light bulb, but there were certain signals and that patchwork of signals when they all came together, it sort of seemed like, hey, we've got the skills, there's the market gap, we could have something cool here, let's give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? There were a lot of things at the very beginning that we failed and it was rubbish, but it was like, okay, there was this failure, what did we learn from it? How can you do it better for the next one? It's just, you know, little iterations of, of improvement. I remember there was one day Jared was waiting around in the fermentation tank and the motor had broke and it was half full. It was like freezing cold water, middle of winter, and he's there fishing out grain out of the bottom of the tank, trying to scoop it out because he's it did make things work. Didn't want to lose the batch because yeah. we didn't have much grain and, you know, just spent $600 on grain. That was a lot of money straight out of uni. Tom, Dean and Jared had the skills and the knowledge to create something amazing. But the money? 
That was another story. They had split the cost of the still, but they had to keep working their full-time day jobs to fund the rest of the dream. All of their gear was DIY, engineered by Jared. Secondhand stainless steel tanks, motors welded on top. The fermentation tank was a repurposed milk vat from a dairy. It's trying to save money by doing things and then realising if we just spent the money at the beginning, we wouldn't be in this situation now. But as a small business, you always you treat everything as a cost, particularly early on. You don't have the luxury to say, yeah, but this will save X in the future. Because you're looking at your balance in the, in the bank account and going, we haven't got enough to pay for this. What are we going to do? Oh, we'll cut the corner. And then you end up paying twice as much down the track. Mm. So I think that was a big learning for us. Pay for quality and then you'll get quality. Pay for junk and yeah. you're going to end but up we, with junk. We would have never done it another way because we couldn't afford it in that way to begin with. So it just happened how it had to. In terms of mistakes, like there was other ones just not taking certain opportunities or trying to sort of understand the, the best way to do things. And, you know, like we had certain opportunities and we'd go, oh, nah, we don't think that would be worth it. And then obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty, Or certain things that we did do and you sort of shouldn't have done, but it's everything that you do, every failure that you make, if you learn from it and know what to do for the next time, you, you know, that's, that's, that's the real value of it. The guys juggled their full-time jobs and worked around the clock with their makeshift equipment to build the distillery from the ground up. I've watched you put in a 23-hour day and then wake up an hour later and do another full day. So we had this hard work mentality that we were never going to give up. Like there was never any doubt in our mind that we were going to fail. And if we did think we were going to fail, we'd just throw like triple extra labor at it, you know, until it worked. So that was the kind of mentality. There's no even question if we're going to make this company successful or not. It's just like how many hours, how much sleep we're going to lose. And then we just lost the sleep. It would take them three years to sell their first bottle. Dean sold it to some passerby. And it was like this moment, like, wow, we actually sold something. You know, this is the first time in, in three years that we've actually been able to sell something. And then, you know, the, the success moves to, okay, let's sell 100 bottles. Let's sell 1,000. Let's, you know, expand geographically. Let's, you know, the goalposts keep moving. And that's, we're always looking to stretch and stretch. And so at some point, we'll probably, I don't know if we'll ever be, you know, satisfied with what we have, but... We're always looking for to grow and to keep building our presence. And that's certainly something that drives us. After almost eight years, the guys have just received their first paycheck. They have one employee and almost too much help from their parents. My parents and Tom's parents are both retired and we have to swat them away with a stick. So every morning we'll be getting text messages. Can we help? Can we help? If I don't write back to them, they'll just be driving through the area looking for petrol. You're, you're an hour out of away from your house. How are you looking for petrol? And, oh, I'll just stop and I'll just put in a five hours of bottling. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they always make the joke that every Friday we triple their wages. And how many times do I have to hear this joke now? When someone walks into the distillery and says, oh, you guys are working real hard, they'll be like, oh, they tripled our wages this week. And, oh... Okay. Headlands has come a long way since its humble beginnings as a motor welded onto a milk vat. Their storefront in the North Wollongong industrial area offers visitors an authentic cellar door experience, with tours giving behind-the-scenes access to their operation. Their spirits, made from native Australian plants like the iconic Illawarra plum, have won international awards. 
putting Australia and Wollongong on the map. And since you've started, you know, there's been a few new distilleries, small bars, microbreweries popping up in the Wollongong area. Do you find that to be, does that feel like competition or is it more collaborative? It's, it's, uh, I'm going to throw out one of the terms I learned back in the study days. It's this idea of competition where you have, you're competing on one side, but then you're collaborating on the other side as well. So of course we, we see them as competitors, you know, they're selling the same product as us. It's a competitor. At the same time, if they're producing a good product, it boosts the reputation of Australian spirits. So we want to work on, on a collaborative way to boost the, the perception of Australian spirits within Australia. If we could shift the balance to buying more locally, it's fantastic. It means it's growth for everyone. Uh, but also we're thinking beyond Australia as well and thinking internationally. And if you raise the quality and perception of Australian spirits, particularly to international buyers, they suddenly are more interested. The same thing has happened in the wine industry, you know, New World Wines. Australia was seen as not being anything special. Now in Europe, you go around and in every supermarket, every bottle shop, there's a wall full of Australian wines. And that has changed remarkably in the last 10 years. So there's that, and that was purely because of this big push towards boosting the reputation of Australian wines in that sector. So I think there's two things happening here. On one hand, it's boosting the reputation of the whole industry, the spirits industry globally, but also locally being able to boost the, the quality perception of the spirits to grow the, the domestic market, but also increase the awareness among people because most people don't maybe don't recognise what's an imported spirit, what's a local spirit. So creating that, that awareness is, is also beneficial for not just us, but the whole industry as a whole. It's just great that... You know, it, we've we've sort of shown that there's there's a market for it here, and it's the whole you know a rising tide lifts all boats. And I guess for me, one of the focuses is just make, making sure that we have the biggest boat. <laughs> well, Tom, Dean, and Jared are super passionate about their spirits. They're also using their knowledge, resources, and work ethic to help make the world a better place. You know, we're we're producing a product that maybe doesn't have the best positive implication, implications for society. But we're aware of that and we're looking at how we can offset that in other ways. So we really focus on things like recycling, using bottles that people can bring back to us and we re reuse them. We give them a discount to encourage them to bring the bottles back so they don't throw them in the bin. We don't use any plastic in the, in the wrapping of the, the ceiling of the bottles. So it's just the little things that we're always trying to do more. We're never satisfied with just stopping because there's always more to do. So one of the latest initiatives is looking at how we can integrate more broadly solar power into the operations. Jared's already designed a super efficient system where it's recycling hot water so we're not having to reheat water all the time. It's always thinking how can we, it, it, not only does it benefit society by being less impacts on, you know, greenhouse gas emissions, those sorts of things, but it also benefits us as a business because it reduces our cost. So it has a dual benefit. Another big one there is when we're making it, we make it from grain. So we make the alcohol from barley. And when we've sort of fermented and when we've sort of got what we need from the barley, there's still sort of leftover grain husk that we actually donate to a local farmer because it still has some nutritional value that he feeds to his cattle. For us, it's waste. For him, there's value. Sustainability is truly at the heart of the Headlands operation. The entire place runs off renewable energy. They save seeds from foraged botanicals to replant trees and even use glass cups at all of their tastings. On top of their environmental efforts, Headlands donates 20% of all profits to Spinal Cure. It's Australia's leading not-for-profit for spinal cord injury research, a cause close to home for Dean, who was paralysed in a snowboarding accident more than 10 years ago. So it's, it's just great to try and find, you know, mutual benefit with, with other people. And it's, it's great to try and collaborate with, with other businesses and, 
and other individuals around the Illawarra as well. It had been about six years since the idea to first start a distillery had crossed their minds. It was 2020. Coronavirus panic has led to hand sanitizers being... Hand sanitizer has become like liquid gold. Wineries and distilleries have started producing hand sanitizer. Distilling Co. know how to make a good drop, but in troubling times, the business is branching out. We were one of the first distilleries to start making hand sanitizer, and it was it was kind of horrifying. I mean, it's when the guys before were talking about, you know, going a few days with you know incredibly minimal sleep because we were in there sort of producing at max capacity to, to get it out there for the community because we had doctors, we had nurses and ambulance, like the paramedics. We had people coming in saying, please, can you have you got sanitizer because we don't have any. The, the hospital couldn't provide it for them because the, the government didn't have a lot available. And it was, it, was, it was horrifying. We were really proud to sort of be able to turn the spirit production off and then use that alcohol to, to sort of keep the community safe. We just distilled a bottle of a barrel of whiskey and we turned it back into sanitizer the next day. <laughs> That's why we, we actually called it this, the single malt sanitizer. So. You guys have done a great job, not only with your own business, winning international awards, but, you know, the sustainability efforts, your commitment to spinal cure. You've kind of helped put Wollongong on the map. And when you think of places like the Barossa or Hunter, they're immediately linked to wine. Do you think there's room for Wollongong to grow in that direction for spirits? There's so much natural beauty here that we can share with the rest of the world. Like uh, the Bubialogen, the Australian native um, juniper, is growing all along the coast. Um, We use that exclusively in one of our gins, and that's something that we can share with the rest of the world. Um, The Illawarra plum is obviously, this is the hotspot for that fruit, and uh, we just have a, a really amazing culinary experience that we can share with the rest of the world st- instead of someone coming for a visit and eating a schnitzel. You know, you could have emu apples and Illawarra plum um, instead of, yeah, just copying other cultures. We have a really rich experience that we can share. They say there's about 6,500 native Australian edible fruits and botanicals we don't hear about that many of them. If like There was a lot of stuff I had never heard. I didn't know about the Illawarra plum until we started sort of looking. And then we're just, like I said, trying to get out there and have give people a different experience. And when we think about all the things that Wollongong has to offer, you guys, you're all pretty high-achieving students and people you've gone to a selective high school and you've gone to do you know post-grad degrees and what was it about Wollongong that meant you stuck here for uni but also to create your business there's something about when you drive from Sydney or coming south and you you land up on top of what's the hill bold hill yeah and you look down especially at nighttime and you see all the lights of Wollongong it's just it's a very humbling experience to say that's that's home you know that's where I'm from and no matter where in the world you are or where you've been and you see that again at least for me and, and that's like that's the signal that I'm that's I'm back home you know and it's really that that mental connection I think also the iconicness of of Wollongong like we grew up in a time when it was maybe still a bit of a steel city and I like it's really changed in in the last 10, 15 years, and now you have, it's like this natural beauty, it's much more seen as an intellectual hub. Things like Innovation Campus pop up, it's really bringing expertise that you would never have thought would have been attracted to Wollongong even 10 years ago. 
and you know the two lighthouses on the headland it was really that was really the catalyst that inspired us for things like our logo you know seeing the two lighthouses it's we, we want to be connected to the local community but also be able to be relatable to the rest of the world so it's striking that balance between the two and finding a nice way of, of connecting those two levels and you know it's it's never we're never finished it's always a, a work in progress but certainly we feel that it gives us an identity that's where we're from and that's I guess that's how we connect with with the Illawarra and Wollongong is we have the you know the lighthouses as part of our logo for instance it's this is how we identify as ourselves and it's very relatable to the rest of the world because when people see that photo that you know they see the two lighthouses they go ah you know that's where the logo comes from you know they, they immediately recognize it so it's really cool to be able to integrate that somehow into our not only our personal values but also to represent the business as well for me the the sort of the natural beauty call it that tom was talking about is one of the big draw cards for uaw because obviously when you're in high school you go to do the little day excursion to see what that university is like at UAW you know there's there's trees everywhere there's more green than than not and the fact that it's right near the beach the area around here is just so great it's it, it's always been home like the guys were saying and I just feel really lucky that UAW has sort of been around to to help me sort of develop my sort of knowledge and and the experience through that period. And, you know, realistically, being the pretty successful students that you all were, you could have kind of gone to any university that you wanted to in Australia. Do you think staying in Wollongong has helped your friendship grow and your business grow? What do you think would be different had you gone somewhere else or had you, you know, separated to go to different unis? That's hard. I mean, my life would be completely different. Like, that's where we, <laughs> that's where we, became we young adults. We had the skills to do what we did. So I would love to say if we were making whiskey in 2007, we would be just rolling around in piles of cash right now. But um, it, realistically, it, it probably wouldn't have happened without the learning aspect. For me, it's more about the relationship thing is that, yeah, like we were sort of, you know, friends through high school. But when you become young adults, like some of my other best friends, you know, I'd, I'd never met um, until I got to uni. And I'm just really stoked that I was able to, you know, keep the, the friendship with these guys and then obviously turn it into the business. But without without being here and still seeing them every day at uni, then I don't think that we still would be as good of friends as, as we currently are because, you know, there's, there's a lot of other people that I was friends with at school that didn't go to UAW and, yeah, we're still friends. But, you know, there's no way, no way that we're anywhere near as tight as, as I am with these guys. And I think in general, our friendship has evolved that we started with a really strong core, so a really good, you know, basis that no matter what happens, we always remember that what it was like, you know, to be friends. And so despite not having the same opinion on everything, which I think is a healthy way to, to approach things, otherwise we end up being a bunch of yes men and do things that we maybe shouldn't. We always keep that in mind that at the end of the day, we're friends and the business should never get in the way of that. And that's the kind of the mentality we have. And so far, we've been able to uphold that, which is good because we hear a lot of stories about people going to business with friends or family and it falls apart because conflict of opinion and they can't resolve it. So I think that's one of the strengths we have is that we always know where we came from first. The business was what came after the friendship. It wasn't the other way around. We Are UOW is brought to you by the University of Wollongong. 
This episode was produced by me, Lizzie Jack, with help from Grace Golash. Thank you so much to Dean, Tom and Jared for sharing their story. To find out more about their spirits, sustainability and community involvement, visit headlands.com.au. If you want to donate or fundraise for Spinal Cure, you can visit spinalcure.org.au. If you want to hear more amazing stories about the connections made at the University of Wollongong, make sure to follow us and subscribe to We Are UAW online or wherever you get your podcasts. We love to hear the connections made or fostered at the University of Wollongong. So if you have a story worth sharing, email us at weareuaw at uaw.edu.au or share your stories online with the hashtag weareuaw. Next time on We Are UAW, a couple of researchers keep crossing paths at work and a romance blossoms. I just knew 100% without a doubt that this was it. And so five years later, I took her back to that same spot and asked her to marry me. That's next time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.